Welcome to the Emmaus Fellowship Teaching Podcast. We trust you find this encouraging. Emmaus Fellowship is located at 205 North Pine Street in Woodland Park, Colorado. Our phone number is 719-687-6061. We trust you find this encouraging as you pour over God's Word with us. In a song, taught me how to sing. Now I have brothers and sisters, gave me a family. I was pondering this idea because this is a, a, a really fascinating conversation, and, and I'm not going to bring uh, real definitives here when it comes to the big question of what is hell, but I am going to just let you know that I do have some thoughts about it, and one of the things that I think about hell is that um, it's actually, I've heard it said that there's like two types of hell on earth. There's the hell you find yourself in, and then there's the hell it takes to get out of it. Like, for real, like, it can be work, it can be hard, it can be, like, we were talking about the the familiar, like, encases you. The familiar becomes so normalized that you feel like you will lose yourself if you rip yourself away from what is so familiar to you, which may be a living hell. And so, um, but I have this definition of hell here, and it's... um, Something that just kind of came out. It's being perpetually hungry and never satisfied. No matter how much you consume. Think about this. I mean, burning with desires that are never satiated. In a phrase, unfulfilled longings. So with that kind of as a backdrop, let's read James 4, verse 1, and then we'll move through verses 2 and 3 as well. James, 1, or James 4, verse 1, what is the cause of your conflicts and quarrels with each other? Doesn't the battle begin inside of you as you fight to have your own way and fulfill your own desires? Desires, pleasures. The, the Greek word here for that, um, for desires and pleasures, it's kind of intermingled there. It's hedone, which is the root for where we get the word hedonism or hedonism. And it's a type of selfish desire or pleasure seeking, and it has a real strong negative connotation here. Generally, it's referring to, to pleasure that is made an end to itself. That is, uh, the satiation of the soul's desires, including both physical lusts, and it's at the expense of other things or other people. So that's the type of desire and pleasure that's being pointed to here when it talks about this, this battle that's inside of us, this warring that's inside of us to have our own way and to fulfill our own desires. That's the type of desire that it's referring to here. And James points out that this first exists inside of you and I. A few weeks ago, we talked about um, that kind of internal system of different parts. You guys remember that? 
And, um, and I was thinking about that a little bit here in this context, and I shared it a couple of weeks ago. And for those of you who, who aren't clear about what I'm talking about, I'm talking about your soul, the nature of who you are as a human being in your humanity, and your soul that has been fractured and broken and uh, has undergone the impact and the effects of trauma and pain and hardship and just trying to figure out how to survive on this planet. We don't get out of this unscathed, right? So um, it's always like this like really deep grief when we realize that we're not above it. Especially if, uh, I'm just going to speak to those of us who grew up in Christian culture as kids, who grew up in youth group, who grew up, you know, in church, our families were all about it, and then all of a sudden we realize that we're not above it in the sense of, like, oh, we are incredibly inconsistent sometimes. We're incredibly um, dysfunctional sometimes. It's like, oh, the, the, the pride, the spiritual pride that we were living in, with and thinking that we were above all that, it just kind of crashes in, and all of a sudden we realize I'm in need here because I got these broken places in me that are vying for my attention, that are trying to run the thing. You know, it's like my life is being swayed by this desire and that desire and this broken part of me and this broken part of me. And we hear it in our language where we say something like, yeah, you know, there's a part of me that wants to do that, but then there's another part of me that really wants to do this. That's real. And so when I started talking about this sort of thing, I started talking about the different parts that are at war within our souls vying to either have fulfillment or relief. Fill the hole or numb the pain, right? I mean, that's the cry of brokenness. Fill the hole or numb the pain. And so interesting, isn't it? There are times when... You know, this, this is like so amplified because there are so many parts within our souls that have not experienced the peace of Christ. And so all of these various parts, it's like a chorus of desire trying to fill the hole or numb the pain. And um, so this is going to get bleak for a moment before it gets better. Because I really do want to point to the reality of this, and we're not above it. So you remember Jesus saying, of course, that I've come to give peace, every essential part being brought into wholeness, the integration of our heart. So maybe my new definition of hell is burning with a chorus of desire and never being satisfied. Before we enter into, like, the remedy, before we enter into the, the real resolve, which is peace, we do have this war going on inside of us. And what James is going to show us is that once we realize that the desires of our soul are not satisfied within our own self, like we do not have the capacity to satisfy our own desires, we do not have the capacity within ourselves to fill the hole or numb the pain, and there's nothing that, um, that we've tried is working, then, then what we will do, and James is showing us this, what we will begin to do then is we will begin to look outward. 
And when we observe that someone else has what your soul craves, then you begin to sort out ways to attain what they have. That's not always a positive thing. James 4, verse 2. Let's go there. I'll read verse 1 first. What is the cause of your conflicts and quarrels with each other? Doesn't the battle begin inside of you as you fight to have your own way and to fulfill your own desires? Verse 2, you jealously want what others have, so you begin to see yourself as better than others. You scheme with envy and harm others to selfishly attain what you crave. That's why you quarrel and fight. All the time, you don't attain what you want because you're not asking God for it. And if you ask, you won't receive because you're asking with corrupt motives, seeking only to fulfill your own selfish desires. The guy is not pulling any punches here. Like, he's starting to get real with the people that he's writing this to, which, remember, is the first-generation church of Jesus Christ who were Jews who had been scattered because of persecution. And so they, they had legitimate needs. And yet he is pointing at, at this dynamic with, within their communities, within their culture, within their uh, interactions with each other. And he's saying, look, jealousy, enver, envy, and maybe your translation said murder. So the word envy and murder in the Greek is very, very similar. Okay. Quarrels, fights, divisions, all for the sake of getting out of your own personal hell. So the catch here is that this attempt at soul satisfaction only serves to intensify the hell that we find ourselves in. So work with me here. If I had a, like a whiteboard, I'd draw this out. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to draw out um, a cycle. And it's, you could call it like soul self-satisfaction cycle, if you're making notes. And at the top of there, you've got self-gratification. And then that brings an increase of internal conflict, which brings greater discontentment, which leads to desiring what others have, which brings you to external conflict, greater discontentment, isolation, and more internal torment, rinse and repeat. Like I said, it's going to get bleak before it gets better. Because this is a cycle that many of us find ourselves in. Self-gratification, internal conflict, discontentment, desiring what others have, which leads to external conflict, greater discontentment, which can bring us into isolation and more internal torment. Again, your personal hell. Rinse and repeat. This reminds me of James 3.16 when he says, Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. So this begins to grow, you know, and, and if this cycle is all we have ever known, then we're doomed to hell on this side of death. It's horrible. So what we need then is a process interrupt. Break the cycle. What's going to break the cycle? Um, and so before I give you the obvious answer, you know, it's like kids in Sunday school. Jesus! It's always the right answer, right? Before I give you the obvious answer, let me ask you this. Is all pleasure destructive? Psalm 16, 11. You will make known to me, God, the way of life. In your presence is 
fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures evermore. So the word pleasure here from the Hebrew means pleasant, delightful, or lovely. So we're going to start to move into a contrast. So the answer to the big question of are are all pleasure or desires destructive or wrong, the answer is obviously no. And so let me just make it very clear that the goal here in this teaching is not to annihilate the desires of the soul, but rather to help us gain access to the way of attaining fulfillment to those deep and endless cravings. So think about it. If hell on earth is insatiable desire, then salvation from hell is attaining the fulfillment of your longings. So could it be that if there is like, obviously, like there's abundant life on this side of heaven, you know, like before you die, like that's what Jesus says. He says, I've come to give you life and life to the fullest. I want you to have an abundant life. I want you to experience like your eyes haven't seen, your ears haven't heard, and your heart has not imagined all that God has for you. That's on this side of death. Then trust me then that there is an equal and and uh, often... Um, Yeah, I'm just pausing here because I'm catching the reality that this is real. Like, there are people that live, and I may be speaking to you right now who find yourself in a living hell, and my heart goes out to you. Like, there is, there is no indictment on what I'm saying. Like, this is what we know, and I am simply going to say that there is a way to interrupt that cycle and that way is for all of us, regardless of how long we have walked with the Lord or how new this might be to you. Remember, Jesus told those seeking a different way that the only way to enter into this salvation was to be born of water and of spirit. He told that to a religious leader of his day, Nicodemus. And once you accept the life of Christ, then you're united with him in spirit. So this is where it starts to get nuanced for us. Because I grew up in an environment where everything was about the soul. Even as a Christian, young, in a family of Christians, the language around, like even salvation was about saving the soul. Everything was about soul winning, right? And so growing up, the only filter I had to see myself was I had a physical body that was suspect and probably shameful, and then I had a soul that was in need of salvation. Okay, let's add this dynamic to it. Jesus actually says, unless you're born of water and of spirit, you will not enter into the kingdom of God. You will not enter into the fullness of life. That God is, so there's the process interrupt, is to be born of the spirit, okay? Because the soul has been active in this cycle for decades, maybe. Well, since day one, all right? And so here we are, we're being challenged, even as born-again Christians, to remember that you are spiritual Christians. You're not soulish Christians. 
Once you accept the life of Christ, you are united with Christ in spirit. Your spirit, whether it was dormant or dead, I'm not going to argue about that one. I just know that it was inactive. And when Jesus Christ came in, he united himself with your spirit and regenerated your spirit. And you have a spirit that is united with Christ. And that's different than your soul. So yeah, your soul can reap the benefits of that. If it's not about soul annihilation, then what is it about? It's, a, it's about soul renewal and regeneration. And so the life of the spirit that we have in Jesus Christ is the work that God is doing internally within us to interrupt this process, this cycle of hell. And so this is why we're working out our salvations daily. You know, it's like, oh, we got to work this thing out. His spirit, the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit enters you, becomes that potential interruption of this selfish soul satisfaction cycle, you know? And, and so listen to a few verses here. Listen to Philippians 2.13. It is God who is at work in you, both to desire and to work for his good pleasure. Philippians 2.13. Does anyone have that? Like, are you looking at that right now? Is the word his italicized? Because it is in my version. Do you know what it means whenever you read the Bible and there's a word that's italicized in the Bible? That means that it actually was not in the original script. That it was added to help the sentence flow But you'll see here that it can also add so much context that we miss maybe the original intent of what was being written in Philippians 2.13. The word his, when it says this, it is God who is at work in you both to desire and to work his good pleasure. What if you take the word his out and you read it something like this? It is... God at work within you, both to desire and work for pleasure. Whose pleasure? Is it just God's pleasure? Or is it the way of life that David referred to in Psalms where he said, in your presence is the fullness of joy, and in your right hand pleasures evermore. And God is making that pleasure available to you. I could go either way with that, but I actually like the idea that it's not just about God's pleasure being released in us, but for us as human beings who have this insatiable craving, the desires of our heart, the deep longings that have up to this point been unfulfilled. They cannot fill the hole and they cannot numb the pain. God is at work within you to bring that to reality for you, for your soul, for those different parts of who you are. So I kind of like that. Let's just say that the way of life offered to us in the abiding presence of God brings satisfaction to our soul's craving. So yeah, the, the easy answer is Jesus. And it's deeply complex and it's thorough. Remember a couple of weeks ago, I threw out the idea of being differentiated. That may have been a new word for some of you when it, when it relates to 
family systems and how in family systems, unhealthy family systems, it's usually the entire family serving the needs of the most anxious person in the family. And that anxiety might manifest itself in substance abuse or in like emotional volatility, whether that's rage or isolation, whatever that is. In, in unhealthy family systems, we tend to orient, and in the most like codependent ways, we tend to serve the needs of that one. So that one is always on our mind. We're usually tiptoeing around or trying to anticipate. We become hypervigilant in trying to keep the peace, as it were, in that family system. That's an unhealthy family system. Jesus himself was the most differentiated person uh, that we have in the scripture when it comes to, regardless of what was happening around him, his relationship with the Father determined what he was going to do and what he was going to say. His sense of identity was the, the grounding that he found himself in, and he would choose, just like in a healthy family system, as a differentiated person, you can choose to interact and engage, but it doesn't mean that you have to take on the other person's anxiety. Now, Jesus, you know, this is where it's like, oh, and Jesus chose to do that. He chose to take on everything so that we could, again, break that cycle. All that to say, look, when I was talking about differentiated, it's not just about external family systems where the most healthy family systems are systems where individuals within that family are differentiated. They can stand on their own. They have a sense of place and purpose and their sense of identity is established and they can choose to enter in and to interact and to love and be with each other um, to the degree that it is safe for them to do that. And the same is true internally. Until you are differentiated within yourself, you will have all of these parts that will be, it's chaos. And so that's why it's important for us to say that you have been differentiated. When you accepted Christ into your life, you became a new creation. And these parts of your body, soul, and spirit have been like now invited to yield to and to submit the life of the Spirit. So I'm going to just point to a couple of things here. It's what Paul refers to as your new man. That's not gender specific, okay? It's mono. It's like man the station. You know, it's like as a person, you have a new identity in Christ. So 2 Corinthians 5.17, it's the obvious one that many of us know. If anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. It goes on in Colossians 3.9 and 10. Get this. Lay aside your old self, what some translations would refer to as your Adam self or your Adamic nature, with its masquerade and disguise. Verse 10, Colossians 3.10. For you have acquired new creation life, which is continually being renewed into the likeness of the one who created you, giving you the full revelation of God. All right, the new man, the old man. Putting aside the old, applying the new. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. 
Let go of the lifestyle of the old man, the old self-life, which was corrupted by sinful and deceitful desires that spring from delusions. Again, Ephesians 4, 22. Now going into verse 23. Now it's time to be made new by every revelation that's been given to you and to be transformed as you embrace the glorious Christ within as your new life and live in union with him. The differentiated you is the new you. Let that settle in. Internally, the differentiated you is the new you. It's the you that has been united with Christ. It is your spirit life. It is the most true thing about you. It has been established not by virtue of your good deeds or your capacity to get it right, but by virtue of the righteousness and goodness of Jesus entering into you and being united with your spirit and regenerating your spirit. Your spirit I had this conversation recently with someone, and it was kind of like, you could just see the light bulbs going off, and then the the light bulbs were exploding, because they were just like, wait, what? Because we have this notion that inside of our physical body is a soul, and inside of our soul is a spirit. We may have even seen that picture diagrammed for us when we were asking Jesus to come into our heart, but could it be that the physical part of who you are is the most limited part, and that your soul extends out beyond that. I mean, you can walk into a room, you can see someone from across the room, and you can pick up their vibe. You're picking up their soul. And isn't it amazing, then, that your life in the Spirit extends even beyond your soul, that you are united with Christ in heavenly places, that you are seated with Him there, That in him you live and breathe and have your very existence. He is not limited by time and space. I know, it's like... Now, what if that being true about you, that is the differentiated you, your spirit man, your new creation, personhood. This is the process interrupt. This is the part where we get to experience like the Christ union with God that helps us begin to transform into the nature of Christ. And not only the nature of Christ, as though that was a to-do list. Oh, by the way, it's not. Like the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, I can't remember, all the rest. That's all in you, that when your life with Christ grows and matures and extends to like impact and affect your soul life, those pleasures and those cravings and those desires start to get fulfilled within and then they begin to get expressed outward. It's who you are. So some of you are like, wait a minute, I'm still stuck on there's a difference between the soul and the spirit? Yeah, that's why, you know, Paul would pray that we would be sanctified body, soul, and spirit. And it's also clear to us that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide or differentiate between what? Soul and spirit. There is a distinction. 
we can, even those of us who have been united with Christ, we can still choose to live in that soul self-satisfaction cycle. We can still choose the self-gratification, the internal conflicts, the discontentment, the desiring what others have, the external conflicts, the greater discontentment. We can choose isolation and growing internal torment, rinse and repeat. Even as spirit-filled, born-again Christians. That's why the encouragement is to put off and put on. Put off the old and put on the new. Remember who you are. Get yourself around people who will remind you of who you are. Don't forget this stuff. And this is why, you know, the, the encouragement here is, is to not remain soulish Christians. Don't forget who you are. Don't rely on your soul to carry you through this life, to fulfill those cravings, those longings, those desires, those passions. Allow yourself to move from that into your truest identity. Because if not, then it's what Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians 3.3. It's referred to as being a carnal Christian. Carnal. Which is sometimes interpreted just flesh. But it's really about the soul. Because it says this in 1 Corinthians 3.3. Where there are envy and strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men. So, that being said, we can choose to put on the new man. We can actually be spiritual Christians. We can allow the power of God that is at work within us to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. And that will, I will say honestly, I almost like guaranteed it, but this is the work that we get to do daily where honestly, like we get to choose if we want Jesus to fulfill our deepest desires or not. So it's not a guarantee. Uh, but it's also not about soul annihilation, but rather a soul that is yielded to the life of the Spirit within you. I want to wrap this up by, uh, by just encouraging us. Like Some of this stuff is like, yeah, I've heard that. Okay, let's remember it. And really, it's about becoming bright and beautiful souls that have learned to trust life in the Spirit, when for all those years, it was having to trust in itself. The soul that is experiencing renewal and wholeness, the soul that is invited with all of its many varied parts to be blessed by the presence of God, where there is joy and pleasures evermore. And so, Jesus, um, as we're kind of wrapping this up, is there anything else you want to say here? Yep, there is. This may feel like a left turn. I got to tell you what I'm thinking, though. Because there has to be an, a practical way for us to, like, cultivate this. It's not enough for us to, like, plaster the little stickies on our mirror when we look at ourselves in the mirror and remember, yeah, that helps, you know. You're a spiritual Christian. You don't have to rely on the soul to satisfy your deep longings and desires. Like, there's more. Like, God is at work within you. All of that stuff is true, 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 true. And it's almost like if we're not careful, we're going to try to let what's broken fix what's broken. 
We're just going to try to let our souls talk our souls into being up. But what we really need is a process interrupt where our life in the Spirit is activated. So let me talk about praying in the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14, Paul makes a really clear case for the need for us to not only pray in the Spirit, but also encourage each other with what he would refer to and what I would refer to as the prophetic. Let's not talk about the prophetic right now. Let's talk about your personal choice to engage in all the gifts that God has given to you to include praying in the Spirit or what you may have referred to or know as praying in tongues. I know, I just went there. I told you this was going to be left field, and I wasn't actually, it's none of my notes. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. I, I walked in this morning. I walked into this building this morning at like 6.30 in the morning or so, and the first thing that came out of my mouth was praying in the Spirit. That doesn't happen every time I walk in this building. I went upstairs. I went downstairs. I went down the hall. I'm praying in the Spirit over this whole place. And I'm realizing, as Paul tells us, in 1 Corinthians 14, that when I pray in the Spirit, my spirit is praying to God. Basically, what you're doing there is you're telling your soul, relax. Get out of the way. Let my truest identity communicate with God. But my soul freaks out because I don't understand what it's saying. And that's why we all freak out, or I used to, but now I think it's beautiful. When other people would pray in the Spirit, and I'd be like, I don't know what they're saying. And Paul actually points to that. He's like, look, people are going to freak out. They're going to think you're crazy. If you pray in the Spirit and you don't allow opportunity for an interpretation so that their soul can actually understand what your spirit is saying. In fact, he goes on to say, when I pray in the Spirit, I ask God for a personal interpretation so that I can not only pray with my spirit, but also with my mind or my soul. It's almost like pray in the Spirit, pause, Get an interpretation, and then your brain kind of catches up, and you're like, oh, okay, that's what's going on, and then you can say it in English or whatever your native language is. That's, that's a real beautiful rhythm of starting to connect with God at a spiritual level. And it's like, take the soul dynamic of always wanting to be out on the lead and always wanting to be in control and always wanting to, like, Know everything that's going on. Take the mystery out of it and just let the soul run the show again. I mean, what was that definition of? Break out of that cycle. That's a process interrupt. How about this? Next time your soul like starts to assert its cravings, you know, like one of those parts hijacks the bus and starts taking the wheel and driving you off a cliff. How about you just start praying in the spirit? Because what did Paul say in that? He says, when I pray in the spirit, I am edified. I am built up. I am strengthened. The cravings of my soul get filled. The pain of my life comes under the anesthesia of God's love. I experience healing and wholeness. I mean, really, it's like, I'm not making this up. This is stuff in the Bible. It's like, it's weird to me that God would use that, like a, a type of language that only your spirit can understand that God is hearing and communion with. And then you get this, like, beautiful, it's almost like this 
resonance of like your spirit praying, the spirit speaking, your soul enjoying being brought in on it. Or not. Maybe there's a mystery there. I don't know everything I was praying this morning. Maybe we experienced some of it in worship. I'm having fun now. But listen, here's the thing about praying in the Spirit. There's so much static around that. There's fear around that. There's cultural confusion around that in the church. There's divisions around that. There's misunderstanding and misinterpretations around all of that. Let me just share with you that my, the, the purest way that I can interpret that is it's a gift so that your spirit can come alive and commune with God and your soul reaps the benefit. Usually the questions I get are like, okay, I prayed for this like a billion times and I don't have it. I'm sorry. I won't say you have, don't have enough faith. I actually believe you do have enough faith. Or the, otherwise, you would have stopped after maybe two times praying for it. You want it. The desire's there. I, I don't know. So let me just orient you towards this one passage that, says, that speaks about groanings. And, you know, so whether that's interpreted as like a particular language type of with vowels and consonants, I don't know. But sometimes I think it's actually really, really deeper than that too for some. But I would say that, you know, let's, let's pray for it again if you want it. I mean, it, to, to me, it's not about are you in or are you out. I mean, that's not the question. I mean, that's some of the junk that gets attached to this gift. Like, if you don't speak in tongues, then you're out, or you don't belong, or you're not, you don't have enough, or you're not, whatever, whatever. It's like, oh, no, no, no. How about if it was just like, God wants you to experience newness more. Man, I'm kind of bumping up against something here. You guys okay with me flowing like this? Because it's a little bit um, real time. Like, I didn't plan on doing this. So, Jesus, what is it you want to do here? Okay, so he wants me to pray. He wants me to step into my authority as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, and he wants me to pray against any spiritual entity that has come up against anybody any, in any sort of way to block them, like you were talking about. There's a ceiling, a glass ceiling. The familiar keeps us enraptured. And so what if this was part of that ceiling? What if you've only known God up to this point, and now it's like we're inviting you to something new and something deeper and something bigger or whatever that is, and there's like this thing. And you were talking about a spiritual dynamic that keeps us in that cage even though the door's wide open. So with that, I'm going to pray. I'm going to name some things specifically, okay? Jesus, thank you for your authority that you give, not only to me, but to everybody here who is um, your child. And in the name and the authority of Jesus Christ, I pray against any foul spirit that would come up against the truth that we have been given gifts by God to build us up and to build others up, but in this particular case, to build us up. And um, so I just want to name deceptive spirit now in Jesus' name, and I banish you, and I send you to the judgment seat of Christ now. Any lying spirit, I silence you in the name of the authority of Jesus, 
I issue a gag issue on you now, and I tell you to go to the judgment seat of Christ for full and swift judgment. I pray against any confusion, any spirit that is on assignment to bring confusion in Jesus' name, and I send it to the judgment seat of Christ. Any spirit of unbelief, any spirit that is on assignment to um, facilitate unbelief and doubt, uh, we banish you in the name of Jesus. And we send you, I send you, in the name and the authority of Christ Jesus to the judgment seat of Christ. Any spirit of control, any spirit that is um, aligning with your soul's desire to be in control, um, this is a challenge for some. If, if this is you, if any of this is you, then you get to exercise your will and you get to exercise your authority and you get to say things like, I renounce any agreement that I've made with the spirit of control. And we send control to the judgment seat of Christ. Fill in the blank. If it's like, if you've made an agreement with unbelief, if you've made an agreement with confusion, if you've made an agreement with any of these things, then um, it's within your purview to exercise your authority and to say, I renounce any agreement that I've made with any false belief, and I renounce the effects of that in the spirit realm and how it's affected my soul. And now I open myself to receive healing and restoration. And I open myself to receive truth so this, this got real practical real quick. Like, this is the stuff that we work through daily, right? And so these are the cycles that are being broken, and this is the way that your soul gets to actually experience the good pleasures of God because it's not been working in these areas. And so, Lord Jesus, would you come now and would you bring to us the truth of who we are? Like that differentiated self. You have to know when I was saying that earlier today, I bumped up against the same spiritual resistance in that. Like there is truth about who you are that you've not agreed with, and now's the time to agree with it. The Lord's bringing up something from last week. Some of you have been plagued all week with this idea that you are not more than a conqueror. Brian Fenimore brought it. I mean, he, he laid it out. He says, you are more than a conqueror. He, he just really encouraged us with that. And then all week, you have been fighting this idea that you are defeated. And so we just want to come into alignment with the truth that you are. You're not a mere person. You have been united with the Spirit of Christ. Maybe this has been dormant in our lives, like praying in the Spirit or praying in tongues. Maybe that's been dormant in our lives. Maybe it's never existed. Lord, today, I pray for your grace. And we pray with the pure motives. We pray with the motive that says, Jesus, we want our spirits fully alive, and we want our souls to reap the benefits of that. We want to be bright and beautiful. We want our longings and our deep desires fulfilled in you alone. And we thank you for giving us life in the spirit. And now, Jesus, would you activate in people today the language of their spirit coming through their own vocal cords 
out into the atmosphere around their hearts and their minds, their spirit praying to you directly. And I pray that in conjunction with that, would you also give each one of us a more clear and precise interpretation of what we are praying in the spirit. And I pray that our souls would be brought in on it in such a way that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, that the old cycles of the familiar are just let go of, and we enter into the new things that you're doing. Thank you for this upgrade. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. I feel your longing for it. I just want to ask you to receive. Just position yourself to receive. Jesus, thank you. And thank you for some of us who um, just needed to hear this today. I needed to hear this. Thank you for speaking it to me as I walked in this morning. And so, Jesus, we trust you. I trust you. And I ask that you would seal what you're doing here by your Holy Spirit. And anything that was offered that was not of you today would be like summer clouds that just get to drift off. We don't have to focus on them. But the things that are of you, God... I pray that they would be like seeds that take root in the soil of our hearts to bear fruit in the years to come. Thank you, God, that you are the remedy. Jesus, you are the solution. We do not have to live in our own personal hells, never being satisfied. You have interrupted that cycle. You've entered in, and you've made a way for us. And I pray that we would choose the way of life every day, and that we would experience the joy of your presence, and that the pleasures that you hold in your hand would be released into our souls. And I pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. It's our joy to offer these podcasts. We sure hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions, any prayer requests, feel free to drop us a line at Fellowship at iCloud.com. If you're curious about ways you can be more deeply involved in this community, visit our website at EmmausFellowship.org and be sure to like our Facebook page.